darling, how lovely to see you here. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hey, lovely. Happy February. Today is our second ever guest here on the You're Welcome podcast. And I do not have any more guests lined up at this time. It's going to be you and I around here per usual. But my colleague and mentor of mine, Marie Forleo, she is one of the first people that I learned business from. I took her course called B-School, gosh, back in 2012, I think. And I recently was reading her new number one New York Times bestselling book, Everything is Figureoutable. And it hit me, this feels like it answers half the DMs I get these days in Instagram. (laughs) Things like, how do you know what your dream is? How do you get started if you're afraid? What if you don't have money or time or don't know how? And I don't just mean career or creative dream, like be an author or start a business, but maybe one of your dreams is healing racial inequality or getting out of credit card debt or not being so exhausted every weekend or surviving a divorce or taking care of an ill parent. It doesn't have to be about business. It doesn't have to be about changing the world. It can just be the questions that we have about whatever we wish was easier (laughs) that would bring you more joy. You find yourself wistful about in someone else's Instagram feed and wishing could be your reality or you just feel overwhelmed and a little disappointed by in your real life. And Specifically, as I was reading as a fellow entrepreneur through this book, I really noticed how many details of how long it took Marie and how hard she worked, how many mistakes she made along the way. And I think that applies to all of us in life that we can look at someone's where they're at right now, sort of at their after and think, this is harder for me than it was for them. They had other things that I didn't have. And I knew this about Marie's story, but I think just when you see it all written down, uh, it reminded me of a ebook I wrote about my own first two years in business when it was all fresh in my brain. And I get so many replies when people stumble upon that of, oh, thank God I am not the only one. <laughs> I am not crazy. I am not remedial. I just wept tears of joy reading this ebook because Literally, this is how everyone feels, and I had no idea. So specifically, if you are an entrepreneur and you want more specific help in this area, I have a free page of content that I just released last weekend at deanstreet.co slash 26. You can swipe up and find that. It's in my Instagram bio right now. But February 1 was the nine-year anniversary of my aha moment of I get an email in my inbox and I realize, oh my gosh, I think I want to be a creative entrepreneur. I start to cry, I email my best friend, and the rest is history. So every month, every year, I love to take the month of February and just do extra teaching of what I wish I had known when I was first starting out. If I'd had a friend, if I'd had a big sister, if podcasts had been a thing, this is what I've wanted to know. So I'm sharing 26 things I wish I'd known when I was first starting out. When you head over to that link and opt in, I will also send you a brand new video series that Marie is releasing. You can get the ebook of my first two years. If you want that, just hit reply on that email and hear how many 
email subscribers I had each month, how much I made, what I spent my money on. I pretty much just opened up my diary there. Um, so check your spam. I really want to help people in this season of business, whether you are starting or scaling, that uh, both our guest today, Marie and I, were in ourselves and help you get out faster. And finally, Marie and I actually are partnering together on a course for entrepreneurs that starts next month. So if you are on that list, I will also tell you about that. It's B-School and Elegant Excellence as a six-month curriculum to support your business in 2020 and beyond. So without further ado, listen in on my coffee date with Marie. Hello, it's so good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Of course. How is California? Lovely, as always. It's always a nice change of pace. I love New York City. It's my home, but I also love changing it up and being in a new environment and having a new vibe. So it's great. Is this something you guys do this every winter for a couple of years now, right? Yeah, I started coming out here probably in like 2012, 2013. And then around 2015, when my stepson um, went away, well, actually, he went away to college much earlier than that. But around 2015 is when we made it like kind of a permanent thing. Okay. And is it, do you guys have a place out there? We do. Okay. Yeah. I, just, I mean, I love New York as well. Like, it is my home. We can't really imagine leaving, but I've been here for a long time and having to do every winter here, I think I'm done. So, yeah. This year we're doing Mexico for a month to get out, but my family's in Southern California. So, I'm, I am that like, hmm, do we become the bi coastal people? Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. There's challenges everywhere in the world, especially, you know, this, this side of the U S. Um, but I like it, you know, for me, I, I really like to change environments. I think it's really good for me growing up in the East coast again, have done the winters my whole life and I'm yeah. kind of done with them. Yeah. totally. whereas I grew up in California my whole life and was like, yeah. it's a winter. I'm like Meg Ryan, it's snowing. And now after like a decade, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's totally. Crazy. Um, do you know your Enneagram type? Are you into Enneagram? Not off the top of my head. I feel like I've maybe done that, uh, but never really dove too deep to, uh, you know, memorize it and get into it. Totally. Well, I just went off the deep end with it in the last year. And I am an Enneagram 4, which means that authenticity is really important to me. And I realized, oh, this is kind of one of the reasons why I'm rather a crap, like, influencer blogger person on that side of my business, because... <laughs> I, I don't want to promote anything if I'm not like, yes, people really need this mm. and want this. And one of those things is books that being in our position, so many people send books, which is lovely. And I love books and I'm so honored to get them. But there's it's so rare that I actually share one that I'm like, OK, the majority of my audience legit needs to read this. Like we've only yeah. got so much time. I'm just really conscious of what I'm like. We you you must have this. You got to go buy this. But I reached out to you because I binged your Everything is Figure Outable audiobook in like Come a on. week and was like, okay, this addresses the majority of FAQs that I get from my audience. Like, wow. this is what everyone is seeking, which is basically they want to change. And it's the top of the year when we are talking more about change. We're more in that mindset. But yeah. this is year round. Like, yes. we want to change our health or our financial circumstances or global warming or being afraid or our career like all across the board. And I realized, oh, everything is figure outable is really about how do you change? <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, let's hop on the podcast and talk about this because this applies to all of us. And we've been talking about it on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. So 
I'm curious what you've learned from you and all these people who you, students that you've worked with, people that have written to you after your Marie talk, and now more people I'm sure writing to you after the book. How do we change? Yeah, so that's what that's what this whole puppy is about, right? Everything is figure outable. It is well. Here's where I think we have to start. We have to back up and realize that it's possible. You know, one of the things that I was really excited about in terms of writing this book was how to help people tap into the innate power and intelligence that they already have. And when I started to peel back that notion it really brought me back to our educational system and how at this point in time, it hasn't done a really great job for most of us. There may be some exceptions, but I know in terms of my own schooling and my own upbringing, doesn't do a stellar job of teaching us how to develop winning mindsets and healthy perspectives and how to really optimize our brain, how to use this thing to help us create positive change in our own lives and thereby in our communities around us. And, you know, just because we didn't learn it in school doesn't mean we can say, oh, nobody taught it to us. For me, it's like, you know, that's the whole reason why I became a coach, quite honestly, because when I started to delve into the world of personal development and professional development and began to understand that there were all these solid principles and concepts and science that actually worked, I was like, why, why are we not teaching this to kids when they're in pre and kindergarten and grade school and high school? And why am I just learning about this in my 20s? And so the way that we create change is first realizing that we have the power to, and if we have the power to, well, then what holds us back? And so that's why this idea, this belief, this mantra, this philosophy that everything is figure outable is so incredibly powerful. Um, and, you know, I remember Hillary, when I was first starting to write the book, uh, and it was struggling to write the book, let's be real. I was out to brunch with a few friends and one of my friends brought along her eight year old son and, you know, we're just going around the table and everyone was talking about what they're up to in their, in their life. And I said, Marie, what are you working on? And I said, I'm working on a new book. And I said, what's it called? I said, everything is figure outable. And my friend's eight year old son was like, no, it's not. Nope. It's not, and it was so, it was like dead silence at the table. And I was like, oh, I said, this is actually awesome. Please tell me more. You're wonderful. Yeah. What do you believe is not figure outable? And he's like, well, we human beings can't grow working wings out of our back and fly away. Obsessed and I was like, with this well, kid already. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. I said, well, first of all, have you heard of CRISPR? If not, you need to go Google that because, you know, maybe in the next 15 or 20 years, that actually might be possible. I said, but stepping back, you do know that we human beings can indeed fly. And he was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. Well, what about this one? I can't bring my dog back from the dead. The one that, you know, died a few years ago. And in my head, Hiller, I'm thinking, all right, that's some pet cemetery ish right there. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I said, Well, that may be true, but you do know that scientists are working on cryogenics and people have been cloning their dogs for a few years. And he was like, oh, I get you right. So some conversations like that inspired me to create a set of rules around this idea, which gives us a mental container through which we can use it for its intended purpose, which is to help us create change and thereby create change in the world around us. Yeah. So there are three rules of the figure outable philosophy and they go like this. Rule number one. All problems or dreams are figure outable. Rule number two, if a problem isn't figure outable, it's not really a problem. It's a fact of life or a law of nature like death, gravity, taxes. Rule number three, and this is the big one, you may not care enough to solve a particular problem or reach a particular dream, and that's okay. 
but find something you do care deeply about and get your butt back to rule number one. Yeah. Uh, when I was researching the book, there was actually this powerful quote by a British quantum theorist named David Deutsch. And he says, everything that is not forbidden by the laws of nature is achievable given the right knowledge. That's actually from another mind-bending book called The Beginning of Infinity, which I highly recommend on Audible because trying to get through it, it's so dense. It's like <laughs> NyQuil, it will put you to sleep. But you don't have to take a quantum theorist word for it or my word for that example, for, for that instance. I just invite people to try it before you deny it. Try it before you deny it. So there are some other points of uh, potential skepticism around the idea, but usually the three rules handles most of them. Yeah, I mean, I think what, resonates with me is what I had been working on in my own life really in 2019 and in my own business and therefore noticing specifically in other female business owners, just because that's a lot of what's on my radar is helping those women, even though that's not my whole audience, is this real lack of ownership, a real desire for someone else to solve it. I need mm -hmm. someone else to give me the answers. If I could just find the right coach, the right expert, if I could find the right person on my team, like, I, I don't know this, but, but I'm sure Marie knows this. If I was as smart as Marie, if I'd had the opportunities that Hillary had, like, that there's something in between, I, I, my, my hand is always out, outstretched. It's a little bit, I'm not, I hate to kind of go down this route of like, it's a little bit of the, like, waiting for your prince to rescue you kind of thing. Like there is something outside of me that I need in order to make this thing happen. And I've really been thinking about that concept of ownership and self-confidence and really being championed in my own business and life to have more confidence in my life, realizing like, you know what? I don't have more confidence in dating than I do in friendship. I'm allowing myself to be canceled on by friends and I would not have been cool with that on, in dating. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I need to have more confidence that I can speak up in that way, you know, all throughout and realizing that's what I hear you saying is like that belief. You, I can change. I do have everything within me that I need or I have the ability to find that, to figure right. that out, to get the information. Yeah. And I think to paint even more context around what you're saying, um, if anyone's like, well, maybe I don't have that skill set. Maybe I do need that team member. Absolutely true. You know, mm -hmm. I certainly don't know everything and I couldn't oh, run the business that I had yes. today if I didn't have tons of smart people around me. But I think mm -hmm. that key piece is that you can go find that person, yep. attract that person, gain that skill, develop that capability, build that discipline, whatever the mm -hmm. thing is that you want to figure out. Again, we go back to those three rules that if you really care deeply about it, it is absolutely possible for you. Yeah. But what, what comes most times, like if we're willing to embrace this idea that everything is figure outable, and I know that's a very weighty statement, then if we embrace that, then we have to start facing, well, what's stopping us, right? What right. is possibly stopping us? And while there could be a million things, then we can come up with a laundry list. What I found doing my research for the book and, and talking with people throughout the tour and getting feedback after the book's been out now, and I think mm. it's a Right now, I think we're in um, 30 languages. Not all of those have been published yet, but that's kind of how the docket's lining up so far. You know, what comes in between us and figuring things out, honestly, are our excuses. Those nasty little lies that we all can tell ourselves from time to time, myself included, yourself. There's yeah. no human being on the planet that gets a pass on this one. 
And, you know, excuses, when you kind of start to really look at them for yourself in your own life, you know, admitting that you make excuses doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you lazy. You don't have to feel shame about it. But if you really have a dream or a problem that is massively important for you to solve or figure out, you have got to commit to living an excuse-free life. I mean, I think really everything you're coming back to that that I just noticed so much throughout the book because it's so much of, of my own ahas and perspective is that it comes back to our thoughts, which is, yeah. you know, believing that it can happen, believing that I can figure it out. Even, yes, I need to bring in experts into my life, but believing if that person, if that friend, if that team member leaves, I'm not now in a position of, well, I can't move forward without them. I can That's right. get that expert. I can get that, you know, support in my life. But if that person moves on, I go back to the thought of, okay, well, everything is figure outable. I can take That's ownership right. of this. How do I cultivate more friendships? How do I find a new person who can fill this gap in my team? That's right. And I also love, so one to me, it's about thought. And two, it's about action. Like I teach sort of the cognitive behavioral therapy model of just like, you know, thought, feeling, action, result. And as I was listening to everything's figure outable, I thought, really, you're talking about part of it is my thoughts. That's the excuses that are getting in the way, the limiting beliefs, all of that. And then part of it is the action of, I just need to break it down. Like I, I can figure this out. What's the first step? What's the mm -hmm. first thing that I would do? We focus on the belief that we can make it happen and the action of actually breaking it down, both those sides of I can be empowered. But yep. you touched on something earlier, which is the third everything is figure outable of you have to want to change it. You have to yes. want to figure it out. And I think that's bad a, enough. Yeah, that's bad a enough. common question as well. How do I figure out what I even want to do? And there's so much yeah. in your story that I think one of the reasons it stood out to me is I hear from so many people that it's like, well, I don't know what, like specifically in entrepreneurship, I don't know what I want to do yet. And it feels like, well, a Marie or a Hillary, they knew everything that they wanted to do. And it was a clear path and it was an easy path. But I, there was so much more I heard about your story of like, oh, I applied to Parsons and then I didn't go. That could have been a bunch of quote, wasted time working on your application and all that stuff. You had to go through it to figure out it was a closed door. You turned down promotions in the editing world. You could be like, oh, man, well, I wasted so much time on this career. But you had to go through that to figure it out. So it felt so compelling to hear just how long it took you to find your thing. You didn't just arrive yeah. at eight, 18 years old at New York City being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a New York Times bestselling author. And here's my whole path. And I know exactly how to get there. And I'm starting tomorrow. It was seven years of like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know how this is going to work. And I just don't, that's, we don't see that today. I think when you and I were starting out, we didn't have Instagram to look at everyone's after as mm -hmm. clearly. There was sort of an ignorance is bliss. And I think now there's a sense of like, well, how, how do I get to where a Marie or Hillary is a year from now? Mm -hmm. 
So a couple things. One, a notion that we talk a lot about in the book is clarity comes from engagement, not thought. Uh, So a lot of times people can really get twisted up and spend an inordinate amount of time thinking to myself, well, what do I want to do? I could do X, Y, or Z or all these different paths. And this notion that clarity comes from engagement, not thought, trains us to have a bias for action. And it also trains you out of the notion that you can make a mistake because what you're trying to do is not necessarily succeed. You're trying to get clarity. And that clarity does come through action, a form of active engagement, taking a class, having a conversation, dipping your toe in the water, doing an internship, trying something out, testing, experimenting so that you can see both for yourself whether or not you want to pursue this thing. And then you have real world experience of the feedback coming back from you about how that industry, how this potential market, how this product is behaving, how this service is behaving. So clarity comes from engagement, not thought is a really, really healthy mantra for people to adopt. I think another thing that we talk about in the book too is the notion of being a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Like a lot of times, again, we talked about earlier in our educational system is like no one teaches us how to have healthy perspectives or mindsets or to really be able to problem solve or to tackle, you know, disappointments and rejection. Like how do you lift yourself up back from that healthfully and to keep going because it's going to happen a lot. Yeah. But I also think most of our talks about careers, they're archaic. They're left over from the industrial age when everyone was supposed to be a cog in a wheel. You pick one thing to do. You become specialized. You be the best in the world. Maybe you have a job for 30 years. You get the gold wash. It's like those days are so far over but we are not teaching our young people how to actually figure out the place in the world. And most of us, you know, there are some people that pop out of the womb and they're like, I want to be an actor. I want to be a scientist. I want to be a mathematician. You know, I want to be X, Y, or Z. And they have a clear path. Josh, my partner is like that. Mm -hmm. I think about uh, my friend, Elizabeth Gilbert, who knew she wanted to be a writer and that's what she wanted to be. She didn't, she wasn't able to make a living off it initially, but she knew that was her path. And then there are other people like me, and there's many of us in the world who are what I would consider multi-passionate, meaning we have a lot of different gifts and interests. We have a lot of different talents, a lot of ways that we could earn a living in this world. And we get really confused and sometimes paralyzed trying to fit ourselves into one neat little box. And huge breakthroughs came for me in my career in my mid-20s when I stopped trying to fit myself into a conventional box because I will never fit into one and gave myself permission to explore all of the different aspects of who I was. I loved business. I loved personal development. I loved marketing. I loved writing and speaking. I also loved hip hop and fitness and this new emerging world of digital online media. And when I stopped trying to be one thing and have a perfect thing to say, when people ask me, well, what do you do for a living? My entire world opened up and giving myself that little phrase, multi-passion entrepreneur, which I made up that new context gave me a new way to hold myself. You're talking about confidence. So then all of a sudden, when people ask me, well, what do you do for a living? And I would be like, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Again, doesn't mean crap. Nobody knows what the hell it meant. But people were intrigued. They're like, what does that mean? And then I would get to tell them about my coaching practice or the hip hop workshops I was teaching or my traveling gigs as a Nike athlete or the fact that I was bartending and waiting tables. It just gave me permission and a broad landscape through which I could talk about all the different aspects of myself. Yeah, what stood out to me as I was hearing you describe your story in the book is that you had the answers within you for Mm -hmm. a long time before you listened to them because Mm -hmm. they just didn't make sense. It was like, well, how could I 
love this and that? How could I want this and that? Yes. And back to that just innate sense of confidence, ownership, everything is figure outable, like listening to what is inside. I have a, I have a dreams exercise that I took us through on the podcast back in episode 33. And it really is just pulling from movies that stand out to you or the, the Instagram accounts that you're drawn to or what you wanted to be when you were little and really looking at everything. There's all these signs about what lights you up and what you want to make happen and really challenging you to say, well, how could that be more present in your life as opposed mm-hmm. to dismissing it and being like, well, I'm too old for that, or I would have needed the education for that, or well, I'm never going to have the money that they have. I find that we just kind of cut off a lot of that possibility. And I loved your example of like, let me tell you again, how long it took me to get there. I didn't have that clarity. So it's totally fine that you don't, you know, have that now either. And I'm curious, now that you're sort of years into living this way. Yes. How, how fearless or non-anxious are you after all these years of work? Like I'm so fascinated when I hear like our colleague Gabby Bernstein talk about like a meltdown she's having over something and you're like, okay, well I think in my head, I'm just like, she's the spiritual guru. She never gets, you know, restless. She just like, everything is so calm to her. And so I just think about in this, in this last year you've done new things for the first time in writing a book and going on book tour and putting on a huge epic kickoff to your book tour. How do you feel like you still go back to, whoa, I kind of spiraled that day that week and forgot what I knew to be true? Or do you find like, oh, it's always there? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a combination. So, you know, this is my second book. So I'd written a book before, but it was at a different scale. Um, and then, so let's go to an area like last year where it was, oh my goodness, how do we bring this thing out into the world in a way that feels really true to me that isn't formulaic and that I think could get it in as many hands as possible, because that's what a book's about. A book is not about making money. A book is about spreading a message. And I had this idea that scared me. It appeared in my heart and it went like this. What if a Beyonce concert and a TED talk had a baby and then threw a block party? What if I did that in New York City at the Hammerstein Ballroom? And what if there were thousands of people and I actually produced and performed in this concert that was both educational and entertaining and like nothing that I've ever seen created before? And Hillary, that idea was simultaneously so exciting and so joy-filled and terrifying and so filled with, can I do that? All the self-doubt, all the anxiety. Is this even a smart idea? What are the economics? Like, do, I mean, the whole, all of it all yeah. at once. And to do that from a logical perspective doesn't make sense. There were all of these other things that you need to do in order to make a book successful, not even talking about all the rest of the business to keep the business running, to keep Marie TV and the podcast running. There's all those things underneath. So to answer that question, I actually filmed the entire process and mm-hmm. we have a great vlog that shows all of my fear and self-doubt as I was having I loved it. watching that. The anxiety, the unsureness, like, oh, why did I say yes to this? How did I get myself into this pickle? I totally did this to myself, like the whole entire journey. Yep. And I will say this on the other end, 
it was the hardest thing that I've ever done. And it was the most creatively fulfilling thing that I've ever done in my life. So knowing all of these things, everything is figure outable. Even the process of writing the book itself is always a meta message because when I was starting to write it and I was struggling really hard trying to crack in to how to write a simple, actionable book about a universal concept that you can apply to anything, that's difficult. To write a book about business, not that it would be easy, but it's Mm -hmm. very easy because it's targeted and specific. So it was like, oh, isn't it interesting that I am having to figure out and struggle to write a book called Everything is Figure Outable. And then to launch it, I'm having to figure out and put myself in a position of how to do this thing in a way that's true to my heart, that makes me take action and walk every single principle that I talked about in the book. Yeah. So it is a constant journey. It's a constant dance. And I feel like I proved to myself, for myself, that every single thing in the book works because I just went through it again. Yeah. So I feel like life is almost like a spiral staircase where you're going to find yourself in new places and at new times and different stages and seasons, but you have to revisit some of the fundamentals again and mm-hmm. again and again. And the way that you interact with them creates the difference in the quality of your life. Yeah, I so agree with that. I think that what I've come to with launching this podcast in the last year and the topics that we talk about and hearing from high school students or women in their 70s that are listening and that are both getting something out of it is what are these things that we are working on in every area of our life? And this sort of core message that we're talking about today, this confidence, this ownership, this everything is figure outable that you're figuring it out in, you know, in, in this case with career, you're figuring it out in year one. And then it's a different challenge in year five and year 10. It's a different challenge when you have to figure out how to be a boss or how to ask for money or, you know, each stage, how do you be a parent? How do you parent a toddler? How do you parent a kindergarten child? Like there's continual change, resistance, fear, having to build that confidence. What was, I'm writing my book this year and I'm curious. Congratulations. Thank you. What was the best thing that you did for yourself in writing the book? And what was the hardest part of writing the book that you're like telling your friends, like, girl, do this differently than I did? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I made the biggest rookie mistake, even though I had written another book before I kind of forgot it. I had amnesia about this. So um, typically I like to do things in a pretty neat and organized way. Like the creative process is inherently messy, but I try and keep myself organized because a lot's happening up here. And if I don't have organization, it can feel like it all goes off the rails. How that translated into writing the book. I made the mistake of trying to write the introduction first because it starts at the beginning. Me, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you can't really introduce something unless you know exactly where the whole book is going. Now, I had an outline. I had sort a proposal. So I had the framework. But until you have meat on those bones, you can't properly introduce something or let people know about the things to pay attention to unless you know the end of the story. So that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made was trying to force myself to go in a linear progression. Yeah. So don't do that. that I'm so, struggling with that in that I've, I was struggling with writing my book proposal for the same reason. I was yeah. like, people are asking me to sum up in three sentences. Yeah. What eight years of exploring what makes women feel beautiful. And because this was an online course, it has so many different components to it. And yeah. it's not a, this is for women who are overcoming an eating disorder and blah, blah, blah. Like I was like, I feel like I have to write it. 
And then I can tell you what it's about. So I was like, yep. since I don't need this book advance to keep my company going, I'm going to write the book. And yep. I think by the end, I'll be like, you know what? I found my tagline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Here you go. Exactly Here's what right. this is. So that makes me feel Clarity a little better. Comes, yeah. Clarity comes from engagement, not thought. Clarity comes from engagement, not thought. Okay. And just also trusting that there are going to be days when any of us are writing where you're going to have some flow and there's days where it's going to feel like you have creative constipation and nothing comes out and you judge everything. And you're like, this sucks. I shouldn't be writing it. No one even needs to hear this. There's enough books. I don't even want that. But like, you'll go through that whole thing and kind of want to beat your head against the wall. and like, why am I even doing this? There's no money in it. I know I want to help people, but this is not worth it. You yeah. have to stick with it. Those are those tough parts. Now on the flip side, the best thing in terms of process and how to's that I did for myself was, and this might not be appropriate for everyone, but you can find a way to make this work for you. The best thing I did was train myself to wake up between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning and work on my book for like a set amount of time before I did all of the other things I needed to do in the business. Now, I happen to be able to wake up like that because of my chronotype, but some people might find that works for them like, oh, I have this sacred time between like 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. where everyone else is asleep, you know, and the, none of their devices are on. So you can make this work for you. That yeah. just happened for me because my partner is not awake. The whole world was asleep and I could log in that writing time every day to make progress towards that finish line. Yeah. That transformed everything for me. How long did you actually spend writing the book? You know, if we were to condense it, it would probably be around nine months, but I had to take breaks because of programs like B-School or The Copy Cure. We had Marie TV shoots or, you know, there were things happening that required me to hit the pause button yeah. to give my full focus to other things because I had those responsibilities already in the book. Yeah. So um, it gotcha. took probably like a year and a half or, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I had to take those breaks. That Even just that, I think people would go in. I've, I've used the example that um, I was on Sean Johnson, the Olympic gymnast. I was mm -hmm. on her husband's podcast. And so because I'd just been talking to her, I had this idea in my head that I said, it's like if you were a gymnast in the gym every day, you're watching what everyone else is doing. You see Simone Biles fall on her face again and again and again. And you see how long it takes to go from that move to that move. And you have a coach that's walked all these other people through. And so you're not looking at someone doing a double twisting, blind, landing, backflip or whatever, and and on your first day in the gym and thinking, I think I'll do that six months from now. Yes. You would know, okay, that's about a six-year journey for the average, you know, 12-year-old that's coming to the gym or whatever. But I think so much of our challenge of this mindset of getting in our way of feeling like it's not figure outable is looking at something and saying, okay, I, you know, I love her website. I think, I think I'm going to do that website. I'll launch it in three months having no idea the money that it took, the manpower that it took, the time that it took. And we don't see that behind the scenes. So for example, I guarantee you just blew someone's mind with, oh, it took her a full year and a half and I've been beating myself up that I gave myself three months and I'm not done. Oh, or, yeah. oh, other things came up and I'm thinking, well, the fact that, you know, my father passed away, just that just got in the midst of everything and I don't know how to get back up from there. Right. And it's like, that's part of the creative process, part of the yeah. life process, dreams, goals. Things usually take a lot longer than people anticipate. And I think one of the detriments of technology has been a pervasive 
instant demand. I must have this, you know, if not in three seconds in an hour mentality. And so people have a real misconception around how long great work actually takes. And even for me, the difference between my first draft and what actually made it in the book, I love the process of editing. It's one of my favorite things to sculpt something down and to make a sentence so tight and so right. But that's a completely different process that takes months in and of itself. So I think people just have to have realistic expectations. And you have to ask yourself, do you wanna just do something fast or do you wanna do it right? And for me personally, quality is always going to trump speed. I don't want to just poop out a bunch of crap just to say, oh, look at how prolific I am. If I'm going to create something and actually expect people to take time out of their lives to consume it, to listen to it, to hopefully help it, have it help them improve their life, it needs to be the best it can possibly be. And that doesn't make me a perfectionist. That makes me have really high standards because I have such a deep level of respect for folks. And that just doesn't happen instantly. Well, and you also were at a point in your career where you could take that amount of time. You know, there's, if you're in the very beginning of your career, you may be like, I I need to make some money. So how can I challenge myself to get my minimum viable product out there? But when you're looking at, you know, Marie writing a book, that's a lot of years of patience where you had this idea for a book in your head and getting it to the point where you're like, no, I'm going to do this other stuff and delay this because... I know if I write a book, it's it's not the money maker, it's the impact maker. Yep. And I that's going to happen at, you know, the right time in my life. And what I also loved about uh, everything is figure outable is how many examples you had because again, you and I know each other through the entrepreneur world and the business context, but how powerfully this concept applies to everyone, to everything in life. It was like how do you care for an ill family member? How do you create peace in Libya? How did you take care of your partner, Josh, better in your relationship? How did you get scholarships to go to college? And as I was listening, it made me just distill for the first time, really the three DMs that I get the most often or questions from the podcast or, um, you know, resistance to joining a coaching program or something are, I don't have money, I don't have time, and I don't know how. Yes. And I realized you addressed each of those so powerfully. Thank <laughs> so you. There, there is so much we can impact in all of those. But just briefly, like how little money you had <laughs> and the things that you did to to save money, to make money. Just touch on that for a minute because I think that's such a huge thing of people just feeling like that is what's standing in their way. And yet you look back at your story and – you're doing a lot of creative things to make money. And yeah, and I would say too, and, and it's not just me, you know, one of the most important things for me about the book was, you know, I'm very aware as a white woman born in the United States that I've won what Warren yes. Buffett wisely calls the ovarian lottery, meaning by no effort of my own, I was born into this country, into a family that gave me a roof over my head, electricity, running water, education, food, and access to healthcare. And those are assets that a lot of people in this world, probably over a billion, don't have. So that gives me a, a leg up. And that's a yes. very real thing. Um, that's why it was important in the book to also highlight stories of people that don't look how I look, that don't come from where I come from, to show how 
their innate wisdom and power, they used it to transcend and transform every challenge that they faced, including not having money, including not having access, including being denied uh, basic rights due to their gender or the color of their skin or all of the things. So I think, you know, coming back to your question, which I want to answer about the money piece, um, it's tough, right? Money is a really hot button topic. But I believe that if you're willing to say whatever the thing is that you want to figure out, even if it's money in and of itself, and you use this philosophy that everything is figure outable, you can and will figure it out. You know, for me, I, you know, came out of college like so many of us do with a nice pile of debt. And I knew I didn't want to live that way for the rest of my life. And one of the things I didn't actually write about this in the book, but I remember it so clearly when I started my coaching practice, um, I was bartending and waiting tables. I was cleaning people's toilets. I was you know, doing any, any work that I could possibly get that would bring money in mm-hmm. so that I could figure out how to build my business during the day and not be a desperate life coach, which sounds like the most pathetic thing on the planet. But I remember creating this poster board, Hillary, on the side of my, uh, I lived in a studio apartment and it was like a thermometer and it had my debt on it. And every time I would go to a bartending shift and I would be able to take a little bit of that money and pay down my debt, I would fill in the thermometer. Do you know what I mean? And just keep a visual representation of what it would take for me to eventually get debt free. And I knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. It it was going to take years, but I was like, I'm going to look at this every day so I can keep what's first top of mind and know that not only am I building this business, but I'm going to build financial freedom no matter how long it takes me to get there. And, you know, I think that for anyone it's Tony Robbins says this, you can like him, you can not like him. I think the, the phrase is true. It's never about your resources. It's about your resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. And again, that is true for, I would say, most of us living in the developed world. That statement becomes less true. Uh, It comes more obstacles when we're talking about folks in the developed world. But again, we've got some incredible stories like Tara Trent, who grew up in poverty. She had nothing. And again, I'm not going to give away too much of the story, but it's like, talk about resourcefulness she brings me to my knees. She's one of the most inspiring humans I've ever met in my life. So I don't think um, money, it's a really challenging thing, but if whatever it is that you want to figure out, even if you don't have the resources right now, I guarantee inside of you, you have the resourcefulness to make that happen. Mm-hmm. might not happen overnight, but you can make it happen. I think that idea of the thermometer on the board is so genius because I find that what a lot of us do is the things that we don't want to deal with, the things that are overwhelming us, the things that we don't know how to make them figure outable, yeah. we put our head in the sands about it. We we run harder on the things that we do know how to do or can kind of get down that pathway. But the idea of saying, if money is your thing, how can you be so, so aware every single day you're looking at your budget? I mean, if you were looking at your bank account every day and you were trying to pinch pennies, Sure, you would notice those occasional errant purchases way more than if you're checking in at the end of the month. And then it seems like so long ago. So whether money is your thing or not, I think that's just an amazing kernel of if if time is your thing. I mean, that's the 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 next big one of how could I really keep this? I am time tracking my entire day. I am being so savvy. And you really challenge us to do that in the book where you're like, if you had two extra hours a day, what would you do with that time? Yes. And I think 
one, we notice how much we're leaking time if you really do the exercise in the book and are paying attention to it. But also, I think realizing what would you do with that time? Like, yes. what does your heart yearn to be like, oh, if I just, if I didn't have to work at it at all and I just got extra two hours a day, what would I do? And back to that, like, you have the answer inside of you. Well, listen to yes. that. Why, yes. why is that what you want to do? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I think with the no excuses chapter, the, the book as general, I tell people, please don't just read the book, do the book. You know, there's insight to action challenges that are baked into every single chapter because I don't pretend to have all the answers in life. I don't think any human does, but I absolutely know in my bones that all of the principles, the tools, and the questions that we have in the book will help you find or create your own. So it's all about unlocking your innate power my job is to amplify and really unleash what people already have inside. Yes. Not about me. It's about them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think there's so much about it of I, I, I already have this desire or the last one is, you know, I don't know how and mm -hmm. realizing the duality of we kind of talked at the beginning of thought and action. Like the first part is, well, that's a thought. It's a belief that I don't know how to do it. And then the action of act anyways. Like, you know, you've, you've talked yes. about like, what's, I think you said something like, what's, what are five, what's the, what are five things you could do to move it forward or. Yeah. So, well, let me give people a really fun tip and yeah. this is great. So when you don't know how to do something or you're legitimately, you don't know, right. Anything that you find yourself saying to yourself about yourself that may feel a little on the negative side or maybe putting yourself down. So let's say, you know, it's, well, let's talk about money. Um, so I'm not good with money yet. Mm. I don't know how to create my own website yet. I don't know how to solve this problem with my partner. Why are we fighting all the time? This relationship isn't working the way I want it to yet. That yeah. three letter word puts you in a position of being real because shit's not working right now. You don't know. You don't have that capability. You don't have that understanding. You don't have the, what you need, right. To get to that next level. So it's not like we're pretending that that's not true. We're acknowledging it. But when we say yet, we open up the door to say, oh, this is just not something I have put the time or the energy or the focus into until now. Yeah. Then we come back to those three rules and say, well, do I really want to figure this out? Is this really worth it? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. But if this is really important to me, I can. Yeah. I think that's a great point to close on even in the idea that everyone who has something big, who wanted something big, started small. And yes. there was a couple of examples you gave in the book that I'd love to let you close on of like Liz Gilbert, Stephen Pressfield, your workshop with five little attendees. And it yes. makes me think of that same sentence of I'm not getting paid to be a full-time life coach yet. Yes. I'm not making my full living as a writer yet. Yet. So That's right. Tell us those stories, a couple of those. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think when it comes down to this notion I, I was talking about in the chapter around progress, not perfection, right? We want to focus on making progress, not this notion of perfection or having already arrived because all of that is really a myth. And, you know, when you're going after something big and there's risk in all of our careers, we don't know if it's actually going to work out. No one has a, a crystal ball, but if you believe in what you're going for and it is 
that important to your heart and your soul, you've got to do it. But you've also got to flex your ability to be patient. So with Liz, for example, you know, she knew that she wanted to be a writer um, and she didn't necessarily earn even a single paycheck from her writing. I think it was for like a decade. And then she actually started to publish work, have articles published, publish some books. It wasn't until she was, I believe, two decades into her career before she could let go of some other revenue streams. Stephen Pressfield, another writer that I admire, I think he might have gone like 17 years right before actually getting paid. And again, I might get some of those details off, yeah. but the, the range is right. And then I remember for me, when I first started out and I was just dreaming of the ability to be able to work with thousands of people and to be able to be on stages and, and sharing ideas and notions that would make a real difference in their life. And I had that dream and it was real clear. And when I held my first workshop, uh, it was real funny. I had five people that attended. Um, my yoga teacher from college, her name was Claire. She lives in New Jersey. She granted me free access to her basement. That's where I held my first workshop. I remember making my little workbooks and I printed them. It was using Microsoft Word and all kinds of cheap little graphics. And I printed up, uh, you know, and stapled together the quote unquote workbooks. It was called Create a Life You Love. And two of the attendees, were my parents, my mom and my dad. Love the third attendee was Claire, my yoga teacher from college. And the other two were literally neighbors that she dragged in off the street. And I just, I think back and I'm simultaneously like, just like, oh God, like horrified, yep. but also really inspired because totally. you know what? I had chutzpah. I did it. That was definitely, yeah. hopefully the work worst workshop that I will have ever gave in my life. But, you know, here's the notion, starting small and sucky beats staying stucky. Amen. So to, to get started with something means you're probably not going to be that good and you're not going to get that great for likely a few years. Yeah. But, um, you know, anyway, progress, not perfection and starting small does not mean thinking small. I love it. And ultimately, I think the only reason we change or do anything that scares us or keep working at something hard is we have a compelling enough why. Yeah. And that's like you said, the third part of the figure out philosophy, it has to be that there really is a reason to, to change that. And yeah. I loved how many people shared that really compelling why, whether it's you, you've got this hilarious story of you like carrying a incredibly heavy suitcase, like sprinting through an airport, trying to get to a plane. But your real why was like, you loved Josh and you wanted your relationship to work and you wanted to make him happy. And sometimes that's the why of like, you look back and you're like, how was I able to sprint for so long in JFK holding oh. that suitcase? I was in beast mode carrying like a, a 40 pound duffel bag where all of that stuff was in a hard case that we had to chuck. But it was like, yeah, because the why was important enough because it was about love and it was about connection and it was about relationship and it was about me getting my head and my heart straight and doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think that's just such another beautiful example. You guys have been together for so many years. And again, that we can apply this to any area of our life, even if what you really want is a beautiful family or a beautiful dream or peace yeah. in the world if you focus on your why enough to quote you everything really is figure out goal thank you that's it friend whatever it is that you are thinking wouldn't it be cool if or i really wish that 
or I wonder if it's possible. I hope that this not only inspired you, but really made you pause to consider if your thoughts and actions are making that happen, because they can be making that happen. We had and have nothing that you don't, whether that is Marie today on business, our guest last month, my friend Brian talking about incredible weight loss, myself in business today or anxiety as I talked about with Brian. These couple of episodes, they aren't just pep talks, they are roadmaps. We are truly breaking down and demystifying how we have made something happen in our life that we dearly and desperately wanted to make happen, and I dearly dearly and desperately want the same for you. And specifically, if you're an entrepreneur, one more reminder that I've got more free roadmaps and help for you over at deanstreet.co slash 26. I'm sharing 26 things I wish I'd known when I was first starting out. There's a brand new video series that Marie just released that I will send you and other ways that we can help jumpstart your business during this month of February. She and I have a class that uh, we are teaching for free. I have another workshop, all sorts of goodness for you over there. But for all of us, whatever our dream or desire is, I really do agree with Marie and believe that everything is figureoutable. As we said to kick off this new year, you are a royal. We can do so much more than we believe we can, friend. I believe that for myself and for you. I know that to be true. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is an update on a previous something that I'm loving lately and also a something that I'm not really loving lately. So I shared with you previously that I had found this decollete silicone patch. I just noticed one morning when I woke up that I looked down and I was like, there are lines on my chest, like, you know, kind of above and between my breasts. Sorry for the gentlemen that are listening. And I was like, what? What are these lines? Where did these come from? Why am I just now all of a sudden noticing them? Um, but sometimes we do that. So I don't even know how I ended up thinking to look for something, what I was looking for. I stumbled upon this thing on Amazon. Kind of seemed too good to be true. This silicone decollete patch. I ordered it and I loved it. I was like, I don't understand how this works. I don't understand the science behind it. But when I wake up in the morning, there are no lines now because I sleep with this thing on overnight. So I came on here. I told you about it. I want to give you an update that... I then went through and tried all of their other products because I was like, well, if this is taking care of wrinkles, like where else can we put this, right? And they have a forehead one and little face ones and they have a neck one. Yeah, I'm returning all of them. None of the other ones worked. <laughs> the um, the What I realized is that it does kind of create a little bit of a line on the edge, which I don't notice when it's on my bust because I'm not wearing, you know, incredibly wide V-neck shirts that it's like the part that would go underneath your bra. Like you're just not noticing that. But when it's on your face, you're like, why is there a dent on my face now? Like I was I was trying to cover up a wrinkle, but I created a new line. Am I really not am I not helping with this? Um on my forehead, I noticed a little like almost like a little polka dotting sort of, which yeah, maybe happens down on the chest, but I can't get my eyes all the way down there, you know, like my vertebrae don't bend. So my chest looks way better with with this, but my forehead, now I'm like in the mirror being like, are there little dots? Like, I don't know how I feel about this. The neck one, the reviews said it feels kind of like you're being strangled. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'll be fine. Yeah, no, it really feels like you're being strangled. It is not comfortable and it falls off. It was it was hard to sleep in because of the feeling. And then I tried wearing it at my desk. People were like, I wear these during the day. And I was like, well, I mean, I work, work from home. I can do that. Yeah, it was falling off. I returned all of those, but I ordered more of the decollete patches. So I do not know why I've never heard anyone talk about this. 
I mean, I I follow beauty bloggers. I follow style bloggers. I watch people's IG stories. Guys, hot tip. I've never heard anyone else talk about this. And as always, you are welcome that I found it. And of course, just another disclaimer, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have wrinkles or you shouldn't want wrinkles. I'm just saying if you aren't happy with these wrinkles when you wake up in the morning, when you look down, you're like, what's happening? Do these things happen all of a sudden when you turn 30? I don't know um, that there you go. You're welcome. And you are also welcome to head over to hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP, swipe up and find that link. I would love if you would send me a voice memo and tell me a question or conversation or topic that we can talk about here on the podcast. I would love to do a listener episode on whatever you would love to hear about. And speaking of people that I love to hear from, here's an extra special little message to send you off with today. It would be super nice if you liked my aunt's podcast because I think you're super nice. If you like it, you give it five stars. She works so hard on it. So spread the love and make a review. Till next Wednesday.